Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we are previewing the Elimination Chamber. We've got a new NWA World's Champion and... Is kayfabe dead? And what exactly is new kayfabe? I've got a diatribe and get to break it all down for you today on Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. How are we doing? Everybody. Hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. It was warm. Well, it was warm on Saturday here in New York. Of course, Sunday it was snowing, and today, Monday, it's supposed to be 20 degrees again. So welcome to winter, I suppose. Hope everybody had a great Super Sunday. Hope everybody enjoyed the Super Bowl. And uh, you let all the football fans in your life get out of the way what they need to get out of the way, because we've got a pay-per-view coming up this weekend once again. And we're going to talk all about it today. But before we get there, in terms of wrestling, not football, this weekend, another weekend, another weekend being dominated by conversation about Matt Cardona, the new NWA world's champion, Matt Cardona. And this is going to fit in to a lot of what we talk about uh, with New Kayfabe. Uh, we're going to talk about that later on in the show today. Whether I think kayfabe is dead or not, I do not. I think it has evolved into something new and when effectively used can still be extremely, extremely effective. And I think quite frankly, that's what Matt Cardona has been using this entire time. Like when you, when you hear about Matt Cardona, it's not because he's not having bad matches by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not because he's having these phenomenal matches it's because he's telling phenomenal stories and he's getting people interested in a phenomenal way and he's making people talk and that's what it's all about at the end of the day is making people talk when he was talking about the nwa and the fact that he thought it was boring and everything people legitimately thought he was going on the radio to complain about the promotion he was working for people legit thought Oh my God, what's this asshole saying now? I mean, I was talking to people, so I went to the Russell Pro Show last weekend, which was so much fun. If you're looking, if you're on the East Coast and you want an independent show that is just consistently a high quality, fun wrestling show, Russell Pro literally never fails. I've been to so many shows and never been like, oh, these guys just were not on their game today. Just really a professionally run organization that puts on really fun shows. Karrion Cross or Killer Cross, I guess he's back to being now, uh, was there. And Scarlett, Scarlett Bordeaux had her first post-release from WWE match at WrestlePro. So it was great. It was a great time. But while I was there, I was literally talking to fans that, you know, GCW and Matt Cardona came up. And it was like, man, those GCW fans, they just hate Matt Cardona, huh? And it's like, n- no, <laughs> what? Like I, I, I was, you know, I when I said that, I was like, yeah, oh yeah, they hate him, but n- n- no, it's, I mean, it's wrestling. They're they're booing the bad guy. It's something that we we uh, preached on this show for a very long time. I still have the old school Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast hoodies that say "Boo the bad guy" on the back. They're booing the bad guy. That's what they're doing. But the story is being told in such a convincing way without blinking 
that you almost believe it to be true. I mean, you know, you, you hear wrestling journalists reporting on the behaviors of GCW crowds as if they're legitimately, as if they're not kind of participating in a story, as if they're legitimately angry at what's going on. It's really remarkable. And that's something we'll get into with with New Kayfabe in, in a little bit here on the podcast today. But congratulations to Matt Cardona. He is now the, I mean, he. I think he still gives himself credit for being the internet champion, even though he just invented that title and bought the belt. Um, but he is undeniably the impact digital media champion. He put that on the line at Russell Pro and was able to maintain it. He is the NWA World's Champion. Is he the Rev Pro? He's maybe not Rev Pro. There's another independent organization that he's the champion of. And now he's taking those titles with him everywhere that he goes. He's got like four championship titles with him. And every single one of those titles makes people talk every time. So he's doing it, man. He's doing it and he's showing the world how it can be done. It's really, really awesome to see. Um, we've got a big pay-per-view this weekend. First of all, uh, uh, people had mixed opinions, you know, SmackDown on Friday, uh, a bunch of stuff going down. And what WWE did was they taped next week's SmackDown in advance. So this week they did SmackDown live. And then I guess right after it taped next week's show. And I think that the reason they did that was travel, you know, because they're going to Saudi Arabia for Elimination Chamber for Saturday. So there's no way Saturday at noon they could do a pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia if they're wherever they are Friday at 8 p.m. So they taped SmackDown for next week and they announced a title change. If you don't want the spoiler, click ahead 30 seconds or 60 seconds right now. They announced that uh, Sami Zayn had won the Intercontinental Championship from Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, and a lot of people were, with some people were fine with it. Some people were unhappy. Mixed opinions about it, though. Why is WWE spoiling their own product? By the way, if you're back, we're done with the spoilers. Um, I don't mind WWE spoiling it. They did it in a way, again, I won't spoil it again in this conversation. So don't worry. Don't hold your breath. But... They said there was a title change that happened at SmackDown, and you can click here. Now, even when they said that, you could kind of guess, but you actually had to click the link, and then they said it. Uh, you know, and, and there are people going like, why, why would you spoil your own show? You know, I mean, if you, it's not that long ago that Eric Bischoff going on Nitro and spoiling the results to your show was like a cardinal sin, and now you're spoiling your own show? What sense does that make? Well... I do have to say that we're in a, a, a very different time. And the idea, the, the results to your show, see, in 1995, when Eric Bischoff started doing that, you know, those results would end up on a message board or a website here and there, but they wouldn't end up with the entire audience knowing, right? The, the internet was not that big yet. Now, I mean, there's no way that most of the audience are not going to find out some way, shape, or form. It's going to be on every website except WWE.com. I think the WWE just decided that, look, if the if the information is going to get out there, rather have the clicks come to our website than some other wrestling website. And I think the thought also was, if we just announce it, then hopefully we'll get people tuning in because they know there's going to be a title change. 
So, uh, you know, I, I actually think it makes sense this once, this one time, you know, it's not something that I would say should happen regularly, but you know, people are going to, people are going to find out anyway, I think is my point. So I, I, I don't think we lose anything by it. Um, but we also, I, and I guess this match was announced after SmackDown, which I don't know why they wouldn't just make the match live on SmackDown, unless they did, and I blinked and missed it somehow. But I think that the match was made official after SmackDown, which means they probably, on the go-home show to Elimination Chamber, make a bigger deal out of it. We certainly saw what's set up for it on SmackDown, and that's that at Elimination Chamber, we're getting Ronda Rousey and Naomi versus Sonya Deville and Charlotte Flair, which I love. Number one, I'll tell you why I love it, because the Charlotte Naomi match on SmackDown was incredible. I loved that match. And I love that Naomi is finally getting to be back into a place where she can so show the world how good she is. And that she's back in the discussion with the main event women in WWE. And there couldn't be a better time for that to happen. Now that Ronda Rousey is back and Becky Lynch is active again, you have to imagine that there's going to be more eyes on the WWE women's division than there has been in two years. So... The idea that Naomi is now back in the conversation with the main event crew, I think is a is a beautiful and deserving thing for Naomi. I'm really, really happy about it. I think that the Ronda, so I think, and I think that pairing her, so you look at who's in this match and it's like Sonya Deville, who's one of the primary characters on SmackDown. She's not in the ring every week, but as the authority figure, she's one of the primary characters on, definitely on SmackDown and quite frankly on Raw too. Charlotte, Ronda Rousey, your main event for WrestleMania. So you've got three upper echelon characters that now Naomi is in the mix with them and she doesn't come across as out of place. So I think it's excellent for Naomi and it conditions the audience to see Naomi where we all should be seeing her. And that's as a main event contender. I like it. I feel like it's an old school Ronda Rousey and Naomi versus Sonya Deville and Charlotte at the Elimination Chamber is very... Uh, old school, build up to a pay-per-view, taking our time towards Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey. By the time we get to Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania, it's going to feel like a very big match. I love, that's why WrestleMania season, if done right, can be so great. Because we can announce a match way early on and take our time telling a story that gets there. I think that this is a very creative way to not only get some light on Naomi and get some light on the possibility of Sonya Deville coming back and, and wrestling regularly, but it allows you to have Charlotte and Ronda Rousey on this pay-per-view without spoiling too much of the WrestleMania main event. You know, you can you can actively tell the WrestleMania story coming right off of the Royal Rumble as opposed to having to wait until after the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Uh, but I do think, I would think that this is a feel-good thing. You know, I think that when you look at the Saudi Arabia shows, it's a big stadium show. It's a show that they want global media on. It's a show that they want all eyes on. I think that they want Ronda Rousey standing tall at the end of this thing, uh, I would probably go with Ronda Rousey tapping out Sonya Deville again. They may, you know, they may do something here because Sonya Deville, she did, she was doing media at uh, the Super Bowl. She's been doing that thing with her arm in a sling the entire time. I would not be surprised if Sonya Deville cops out of this match right before 
She may fly all the way to Saudi Arabia only to say she can't wrestle. And then maybe have, you know, it, it would be great if you had Shayna Baszler in her place. So now you've got Sonya Deville names her replacement at Shayna Baszler. You've got Shayna Baszler in Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey and Naomi. You've got moments of Naomi and Shayna. You finally get to Shayna and, and Ronda. Whenever Ronda almost gets her hands on Charlotte, Shayna's there to break it up. Why is Shayna doing this? Well, you know, she's doing what she's paid for and Sonya Deville made it worth her while. And eventually Ronda Rousey can tap out Shayna Baszler. It's in a tag team match, so we can always revisit it. But I just, I, I feel like I wouldn't be shocked if that's the direction that they went in. I feel like it wouldn't be a bad direction. And ultimately, whoever it is, Sonya Deville, Shayna Baszler, Ronda Rousey taps them out. Ronda and Naomi stand strong. Charlotte does not take the fall. I think that's the only way that you do that match. I think. Uh, Madcap Moss versus Drew McIntyre. Falls count anywhere. I mean, I have to believe that they're just trying to build Madcap Moss with this. This is the second time Drew McIntyre and Madcap Moss have had a pay-per-view match. It's very, very interesting with Drew McIntyre because leading up uh, to his match with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 36... Uh, coming off of the Royal Rumble, he was he didn't get title matches. Like the the key to Drew McIntyre was that he did he didn't get any title matches ever because they didn't want fans to see him losing title matches. And it seems like we're back there. It seems like the process that they're taking to try to rebuild Drew. Excuse me. The the process that they're taking to try to rebuild Drew McIntyre is basically the same process that they used to try to build him in the first place which is, you know, have him go through various opponents, never getting a title shot until he finally gets to the top of the mountain and we've all been waiting for it. I don't know if you can do that twice. It worked the first time for sure. I don't know if you can do it twice, and I especially don't know if you can do it by having him face Madcap Moss twice on pay-per-view. Uh, it's Falls Count Anywhere. They've adjusted the stipulation. So, I, you know, I, I don't... There's no way Madcap Moss wins this match. Um, I guess this is all leading towards Drew McIntyre versus Baron Corbin at WrestleMania. I guess that they're just trying to, I don't know, save all, like Baron Corbin is is the end boss of this thing. And then coming off of WrestleMania, maybe they go someplace else. I, maybe Drew is waiting for Roman after Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. I don't know. But I would imagine Drew beats Madcap Moss and it leads to a Drew McIntyre-Baron Corbin match that Drew wins at WrestleMania. Um, again, at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, you got the SmackDown Tag Team Championship on the line, the Usos versus the Viking Raiders. Wonderful spot for the Viking Raiders. I'm happy for them. I think it's going to be great. But uh, And I think that they're going to, because it's on pay-per-view, it's not on television, they're going to have the opportunity to really showcase what they can do. But ultimately, there's no way. Like, the Usos retain here. The Usos definitely retain the tag team championship. Now, what's amazing is that's basically the undercard. We've got seven matches on the show. Two of them are Elimination Chamber matches. Four of them are clearly main event matches. And one of the undercard matches is the match with Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair. This is going to be a huge pay-per-view. You got the Raw Women's Championship, Becky Lynch versus Lita. There's no way Lita leaves with the championship, but I think it's going to be a real feel-good moment. I think uh, I think everyone is going to be thrilled 
to see Lita getting this opportunity. I would imagine that tonight on Raw, we build a little bit more with the Becky Lynch and Lita stuff. But Becky Lynch has been doing a really great job on social media, hyping this up and uh, sort of sort of uh, uh, playing up to Lita's legendary status and the way Becky used to look up to her and don't meet your heroes and all this stuff. So I think it's going to be a great showcase for Lita. I'm sure she's been training her ass off. Um, and I'm I'm really happy to see Lita get the opportunity to shine on, on, on this stage. What I hope for is that Lita does so well, this becomes a thing that Lita comes back. I don't think that Lita should be back full time, but the idea of Lita having pay-per-view matches... Once or twice a year, I love that idea. And she looks amazing, so I don't see why you wouldn't do that. But yeah, I mean, I think that clearly Becky Lynch is taking the title with her to uh, WrestleMania, as is Roman Reigns. Universal Championship match, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. I mean, not Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg. It's Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Uh, Bill Goldberg versus Roman Reigns. Now, something you have to keep in mind here is that while, yes, I absolutely think that Roman Reigns is going to beat Bill Goldberg. Roman Reigns has beaten everybody. I saw uh, uh, one of the UK journalists, I think uh, Louis Dangor, I think that's how you say his name, made a list of people that Roman Reigns has beat as universal champion. He made the bold claim that Roman Reigns has beaten every other universal champion as universal champion if he beats Bill Goldberg. Of course, he got completely blasted for that because Roman Reigns never beat The Fiend. Roman Reigns never beat Seth Rollins. He was wrong. But he did retain his title through both of those challengers. Seth Rollins did ultimately win that match by DQ. Um, However, Roman did beat, I mean, choked out Braun Strowman. He won the title in a triple threat that The Fiend held. He has since defeated, I mean, everybody. Stacked up Daniel Bryan and Edge, beat John Cena, beat Brock Lesnar. He's beaten everybody. So I don't think Bill Goldberg is the one that beats Roman Reigns. However, I talked about this last week. I said I was going to get a little more into it this week. It's an earworm that's stuck in my head. And I want you guys to be holding your breath in this match as much as I am. In no way, shape, or form do I think Bill Goldberg should beat Roman Reigns at the Elimination Chamber. I think that's a very bad idea. However, I also thought it was a very bad idea when Bill Goldberg beat The Fiend in Saudi Arabia. I thought that was real dumb. That was the victory that led to what would have been Bill Goldberg versus Roman Reigns two years ago at WrestleMania that ended up being Bill Goldberg versus Braun Strowman. The fact that Goldberg beat The Fiend, the fact that Goldberg has been a perennial spoiler, the fact that Goldberg rarely loses and especially rarely loses in Saudi Arabia. Look, logic would tell you that there's no way that Roman Reigns loses this match because clearly the WrestleMania match is going to be Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, right? Yes, However, if Brock Lesnar were to win the Elimination Chamber, for instance, and become the WWE Champion, and Bill Goldberg were to beat Roman Reigns and become the Universal Champion, Brock Lesnar would show up to Raw all cocky. Paul Heyman, who is back to representing Roman Reigns, would remind Brock Lesnar that the contract has already been signed. 
that when Brock Lesnar won the Royal Rumble, he requested to have a title match with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. That contract has been signed, and the title match at WrestleMania is still happening. It's going to be Brock Lesnar defending his title against Roman Reigns. And you never mention Bill Goldberg again. This is what I said two years ago. When Bill Goldberg beat The Fiend, I said, mark my words, Bill Goldberg will come out. He will be announced as champion. He will make uh, his next challenge for WrestleMania, as will The Fiend, and we will never talk about The Fiend losing or Bill Goldberg beating him ever again. I said that when it happened. Literally, the next SmackDown is when The Fiend challenged John Cena for the WrestleMania match, and nobody ever mentioned the fact that it was The Fiend that lost to Bill Goldberg. They mentioned that Bill Goldberg had won the title. They never mentioned that The Fiend had lost to him. The Fiend will lose, and we will never mention it again. This is a psychology that has been used before and will be used again. There is a version of this where Bill Goldberg beats Roman Reigns. Could be with Brock Lesnar's help. Probably not with Brock Lesnar's help, quite frankly, because that would complicate the storyline. There is a version where Roman Reigns makes one mistake. Goldberg wins. Goldberg shows up on SmackDown with the Universal Championship. Roman Reigns shows up on Raw to challenge Brock Lesnar. And nobody mentions the fact that Bill Goldberg won the title from Roman Reigns. They mention the fact that he's the universal champion. They mention the fact that Roman Reigns is going to be challenging Brock Lesnar for the WWE championship, but nobody mentions that Goldberg beat Roman Reigns specifically. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Because after you do that, you can move on to have a secondary WrestleMania main event in which Goldberg is defending the universal title Against anyone. Against, you could have him, you could screw the Baron Corbin thing, you could have Bill Goldberg versus Drew McIntyre. You could have Bill Goldberg versus Seth Rollins for the Universal title. You could have Bill Goldberg versus Bob Lashley. Maybe Bob Lashley wants to uh, try his luck again. You know, after everything we saw at SummerSlam and coming off of SummerSlam, maybe Bob Lashley wants one more shot at Goldberg and this time for the Universal title. There's nothing that says that you have to have a SmackDown-branded guy take on Goldberg. It could literally be anyone, especially when Brock, when Roman Reigns heads over to Raw to face Brock Lesnar. They could easily say Sonya Deville and Adam Pearce decided that 
if Roman Reigns is going to be appearing on Raw, then Raw needs to give us this talent, and it's Bobby Lashley, it's Seth Rollins, it's whoever it is. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it should happen. But what I am saying is there is a better possibility that I think most of us are giving credit for that the WWE at the last minute will decide, well, if Roman loses, we can still do Roman Reigns versus Brock and then also have a Bill Goldberg WrestleMania main event match. Bill Goldberg could still wrestle at WrestleMania if he loses to Roman Reigns, but it's not a main event. If he beats Roman Reigns, it is a main event and we don't lose the Roman Brock match. I'm just saying that that is clearly spelled out in a way that can happen at this pay-per-view. Maybe not better than 50% chance. Maybe not a thing that we hope happens, but something that could happen. The Elimination Chamber match for the Raw Women's title shot, which this is what I like. I like when the Elimination Chamber matches are done to declare the other contender. I think that that should be the the rule of the elimination chamber. I don't like when the title is defended in the ch- in the chamber. I like it when the winner of the Royal Rumble gets a shot at WrestleMania and then we do an elimination chamber match to determine the person who gets the shot at the other title. The winner of the Royal Rumble must declare who what champion they will be facing at WrestleMania before the elimination chamber. And once that is declared, then the Elimination Chamber match is made to determine who will get the opportunity at the other champion that the Royal Rumble winner didn't take. I think that should be every year. That's the way they're doing it for the Women's Championship. Obviously, it's going to be Ronda and and Charlotte at WrestleMania. So the women's title shot will go to either Dewdrop, Liv Morgan, Rhea Ripley, Nikki Ash, Bianca Belair, and a mystery entrant. Now, assuming the mystery entrant is a female, which I think is a pretty safe assumption, this is a big deal. You're looking at six plus two, that's eight, plus four, that's 12 women. Plus, if they do my Sonya Deville, I mean, my my Shayna Baszler thing, that would make it 13. But at least 12 women are going to be on this show in Saudi Arabia. That's a big, big deal from where they've been uh, doing shows over there. Uh, who will be the mystery opponent, first of all? So I personally, on paper, I feel like Bianca Belair should win this match. You know, I think Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash kind of cancel themselves out. I think Dewdrop just got the title shot at Becky Lynch. I think she could be impressive in this match, but I don't think she wins it. I think Liv Morgan, this is the story of Liv's life. Close, but no cigar. The underdog, not quite ready. Almost there, didn't quite make it. I don't think this is Liv Morgan's time to win the Elimination Chamber. It'll be great when one day she does. But I don't think it's going to be this day. I don't think it's going to be Saturday. You know, I think Bianca Belair will win. Because we never got that payoff from SummerSlam. Like, the, the, the ultimate question is... What is going to be the story coming off of the Elimination Chamber match going into WrestleMania with presumably Becky Lynch? Unless it's Lita, but I doubt it. So the Bianca Belair story is pretty clear. First of all, the idea of Bianca Belair winning an Elimination Chamber match is not a stretch. Okay, it's not a a hot take. It's not a bold choice. Pretty clear. But you've also got a story where Bianca still has never really gotten proper revenge uh, on Becky for SummerSlam and quite frankly has never gotten a a true opportunity to get her title back. 
At the same time, you've got that mystery spot. Um, we did our Zoom room uh, before today uh, with the Hall of Fame level, not Sam Schills. And uh, one person, Marsh, brought up uh, that he thinks it's going to be Alexa Bliss. I don't think it's going to be Alexa Bliss. Uh, I think that the fact that Alexa Bliss has been on TV in those uh, psychiatrist office skits every single week, while I hope that they end soon, uh, I don't think, I think that if they were ending with her in the chamber, that would be announced. Now, they could announce that on Raw. But, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, if you're going to do Alexa Bliss, the fact that she's already been back on TV... I don't think it makes sense that you wouldn't announce it in advance. To me, if it's a big person that's in that position, then it has to be somebody returning. It has to be somebody that hasn't been on TV because otherwise, why make it a mystery? Why not advertise that they're going to be in that position? So I boil it down. It could be Sasha Banks because she hasn't, I don't think she's done much, if anything, since the Royal Rumble. So I, I boil it down to Sasha Banks, Bailey. And Asuka. I think that if Sasha Banks is in it, you kind of want her to win. And maybe you figure out something where the main event for WrestleMania or, you know, one of the main events is uh, Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch. A triple threat. It's possible. Um, if Bailey's in it, I think Bailey, since she's a villain, can afford to lose. Uh, although Bailey versus Becky Lynch would be amazing, I think she can afford to lose. If it's Asuka in there, I think Asuka would be a real interesting one. Because so I think it would be interesting to see Asuka win and go to WrestleMania. And the story that you tell going to WrestleMania is that Asuka is a nobody, according to Becky Lynch. And the fact is that the only reason Asuka even got a significant reign as the Raw Women's Champion is because Becky handed her the title. Becky went off to be a mother. Asuka won the money in the bank, but she never beat Becky Lynch for that title. So now it's time to put up or shut up. And Becky says, and you know, I think it's a good thing that I left because briefcase or not, I don't think you can beat me for the Raw Women's Championship. So it's a pretty, pretty significant story going into uh, WrestleMania that I think is a possibility. I think you're either looking at Asuka or Bianca Belair coming out of that thing as the winner. And then the Elimination Chamber match for the WWE Championship, Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, Austin Theory, Riddle, AJ Styles, Bobby Lashley. Uh, the more I think about it, you know, I mean, the way they were talking about double title coming off of the Royal Rumble, I just, I think that that Brock has to look dominant. I think that, that Brock has lost... So think about since Brock has been back at SummerSlam, he returned at SummerSlam, then he went to Crown Jewel and lost to Roman Reigns. Then he had a match that was unannounced and he won a fatal five-way. Then he had another announced singles match with Bobby Lashley that he lost. And then he was unannounced in the Royal Rumble and he won. So... When it comes to unannounced multi-person matches, Brock Lesnar can pull out a victory. But good guy, bearded, overalled Brock Lesnar, by hook or crook, has lost all of the scheduled matches that he's been in. So I feel as though you have to remind people that he is the beast. Um, 
And I kind of think this is the opportunity to do it. Look, I, I feel like your main event for night two of WrestleMania is probably going to be Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns in a title versus title match. I personally think Roman Reigns walks out of WrestleMania, the Universal and the WWE champion. I told you the Bill Goldberg scenario is a possibility. It still is. But if I'm if I'm doing this, my pick for this is for Brock Lesnar to win this Elimination Chamber match and pin everybody. You know, I, I think Brock Lesnar actually pins everybody in this thing. And he comes out dominant. He comes out the champion. He goes into WrestleMania as dominant as ever. And Roman Reigns gets a clean victory over Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. He holds up both titles. And then he starts appearing on Raw and SmackDown as both the Universal Champion and the WWE Champion. You could unify the title. I'm not ready to unify the titles. I think having a world champion on both shows, if you're going to have separate rosters, is a good thing. At the same time... The idea of Roman combining those belts and getting a new championship made and becoming the new undisputed champion. There is something to that. And I, I do think, especially with Ronda Rousey being on SmackDown and all, I, I, I would imagine that they're looking at, you know, Brock Lesnar is probably not sticking around after WrestleMania. He'll go away for a while again. I think having Roman Reigns on both Raw and SmackDown would be very, very, very beneficial, especially to Raw. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I personally think Roman Reigns is going to walk out of WrestleMania with both titles. And in order for that to happen, I do think Brock Lesnar beats Bobby Lashley for the title at Elimination Chamber. It's going down Saturday at noon, which is a treat midday pay-per-view. And also very, very interesting that I, I talked about this at the last Crown Jewel, that, that, if you watch these uh, international pay-per-views, because I kind of lump in the couple they did in Australia as well, but the Saudi pay-per-views, uh, originally, like the first couple were basically super house shows, like insanely good house shows, but didn't really have a major impact on the day-in, day-out storyline of WWE. And they've slowly made the progression to the point where the last one, Crown Jewel, felt like a WWE pay-per-view. It felt like part of canon. It felt like, okay, we're not just shoehorning an extra event in here. This is an essential event to watch. This is the first time that they're actually doing, the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view is a standard pay-per-view. This is a standard pay-per-view that the WWE is putting on coming from Saudi Arabia. This is the first time they've done that. And I think it is worth kind of at least taking note of the fact that this is a this is certainly an evolving uh way they're presenting shows from over there. So very very interesting. Uh and I'm 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 actually pretty pretty looking forward to this show on Saturday. So something that I've been talking about on the podcast for I think a long time now, but I've just brought it up here and there is this idea of new kayfabe. What is new kayfabe? Is kayfabe dead? I don't even particularly like using those terms. I think, you know, wrestling vernacular is so overused and misused at this point that it becomes annoying just to hear it, especially from people like me. But conceptually, I want to, like, unpack what this is, right? Because I've been thinking about it a lot lately, especially as... I've been watching certain storylines play out and the way those storylines get reacted to and whether or not 
it's what I would classify as this new kayfabe that we're living in and whether or not it's a good thing and whether or not it's the right direction to go down. So you start with this premise, like, is kayfabe dead? Because that's what people will tell you. Kayfabe is dead. It died a long time ago. And in the traditional sense of the word, it would be hard to argue that kayfabe is dead. Of course, kayfabe being the the idea, the, the kayfabe itself is a reality that is presented to the audience with an expectation that the audience believes it to be true, but it is indeed false. Kayfabe is the false reality that is being portrayed by the wrestlers, the promoters, the people behind the curtain to convince the audience or the audience or the marks that what they're seeing is real. So by the standard sort of use and definition of kayfabe, you could pretty well argue, and I would probably argue that if you want to go, well, is kayfabe still alive? You'd go, no, kayfabe would have died in the early to mid-80s when Vince McMahon took over the WWE and when he and when he started to build it out as a national entertainment company. Vince McMahon decided to change the way that not only his company, but because his company became the biggest, the entire industry of professional wrestling was perceived in order to improve his business. And he was right, 110%. See, wrestling was still in this era where you would have, you know, those those 2020 shows where they would say, hey, I'm, I'm we're going to prove it. Wrestling is actually scripted. Wrestling is fake. And it's like you're having Santa Claus type conversations with adults. People still try to have these conversations. And it's like it's so it's 40 years out of touch by this point, because by WrestleMania one, Vince McMahon was already calling his form of entertainment sports entertainment. The idea that this was meant to be perceived as a true and legitimate athletic competition between two competitors was thrown out the window immediately. WWE did not make claims that Hulk Hogan and Mr. T versus Mr. Wonderful and Roddy Piper was a true athletic competition. Instead, they portrayed it as sports entertainment, which was this almost, I kind of define it as an athletic performance art, but it is just a, a, a highly athletic television presentation in which the results and move sets have been agreed upon by the participants in the ring. And it took a long time for people to really sink that in. You know, I don't think that wrestling fans had such a hard time with it. I think it was the outside world that didn't understand that wrestling was not in a place where it was trying to trick the audience anymore, any more so than any television show or film was trying to trick the audience. Back to the Future was not trying to trick the audience into believing that a doctor had actually taken a DeLorean, given it power to fly, and turned it into a time machine. We weren't meant to be tricked into thinking that was a reality. It was just meant to be given to us as part of a story that was compelling enough 
to allow us to suspend disbelief. And that is where wrestling was at then, is at now. It's that idea that you have to suspend disbelief. But I think that for professional wrestling or sports entertainment, the suspension of disbelief becomes even more difficult because there isn't, or or there's a disconnect between the performer and the character. People, fans, because it's already so hard to believe, because to suspend disbelief, we have to live in a world in which these over-the-top characters are true and the completely ridiculous reasons that these characters have to settle things in the ring with the absurd set of rules and the unfathomable outcomes. In order to believe all that, it's almost like you can't for a second be reminded that these characters are not indeed characters. They're human beings portraying characters. And that's where that sort of melting between character and portrayer of the character, I think, comes forward. But as new... So, so the, only, the only way... Because again, you need, if you don't have suspension of disbelief in wrestling, you don't have anything. If you don't have suspension of disbelief for a film or a television show, then what you're doing is you're turning on Breaking Bad and you're watching a show thinking to yourself, that's Brian Cranston. He doesn't sell drugs. He's not in any danger. That's not his real family. And even if they were his real family, they're not in any danger because they've memorized all the words that they're saying. Somebody else wrote them for them and they're playing make-believe and I'm watching it. If that's what's going on in your head while you're watching Breaking Bad, you're probably not gonna watch Breaking Bad for very long. That's why when people have conversations about Breaking Bad, while they will compliment the acting, we can suspend our disbelief to the extent that we can have full conversations about Walter White and his motivations, whether he was a good person, whether he was a bad person, the cartel, the the, the way they were chasing him, his fugue state, all of this stuff that takes place. As adults, we can have a conversation without feeling silly because the storytelling is so good and compelling that it allows us to feel okay suspending our disbelief. In wrestling, if we can't suspend our disbelief, then what we're looking at is some very in-shape athletic people wearing ridiculous clothing, play fighting in front of 10,000 people. It's an absurd premise that nobody would be into. So how do you get that suspension of disbelief? Well, the short answer is, of course, compelling characters, compelling stories. Duh, but that's easier said than done. When you had kayfabe, at least you could trick people, right? At least you could just find people that you could fool into making them believe that. But we can't have kayfabe anymore because sports entertainment made the change into a family-friendly entertainment venue, which means that the barbarism that, if you were to trick yourself into believing that pro wrestling was a legitimate contest, there would be a degree of barbarism unlike anything else on television. That's not family entertainment. It almost has to be false in order to justify the way these characters are treating each other. But if it's false, how do we care about it? 
wrestling is such a unique art form that it, it become. I mean, you can find people that can make compelling characters and compelling stories, and it's been done time and time again. It's why wrestling has maintained relevancy as long as it has. It's why wrestling has maintained popularity as long as it has. It's why, you know, from we're we're headed towards WrestleMania 38, and the playbook hasn't really changed. But there have been times where it's like we need a shot in the arm. And in spots that we would have previously used kayfabe, the worked shoot comes in. Now, people have, I've seen, confused the idea of the worked shoot and what I consider new kayfabe. I am generally speaking anti, quote unquote, worked shoot. Of course, for this conversation, the work is the 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 acting of it work a work is something that is false a shoot is something that is true almost everything you see storyline wise in professional wrestling is a work it is false it is written and performed and portrayed with the intent to entertain you if it becomes a shoot, then it is no longer false. Something has gone off script, and now we're watching people work out something that they really didn't plan on working out in front of an audience that's, that's this big. That's a shoot. Now, the work shoot for me, long-term, doesn't work for a couple of reasons. Short-term, it works. Short-term, it can get attention. But it becomes very, very difficult to bounce off of it. You know, I, I think, for instance, uh, a good example of the worked shoot is the CM Punk pipe bomb, bomb promo. That I don't know that many people really thought it was a shoot, but it was a it was a worked shoot in the sense that storylines were put aside, and CM Punk was portrayed as, as cutting straight from the hip. And his didn't stop until his mic turned off, and this is real life. Unfortunately, a couple of things happened. It's it's for, in that instance, it's hard to bounce back from that. It's hard to keep going after that. It's hard to to maintain that environment. It's the same thing that happened with the with the Nexus when they came in from NXT with Wade Barrett. It started as as a worked shoot, in the sense that they came in and tore apart the ring, but eventually. You've got to just work. Eventually, you've got to tell a story around that. And if we start with the excitement of a worked shoot, and eventually you have to be brought in to just a work, people don't like that. A work is, by definition, less interesting than a worked shoot. And that's one of the reasons for me why I don't like a worked shoot. What it does is not only it doesn't allow you to dial it back and go back into being a work because people now know the difference, right? Right. People know the difference between, if this were really a shoot, we couldn't keep this going for six months. So within weeks, I think, generally speaking, interest starts to wane because you realize this is, there's nothing about this that is, is true. And if it's interesting because it's compelling, it can maintain. But if it's only interesting because it's true, then once we find out it's not true, it's no longer interesting. I think a worked shoot, by definition, even the moment that it happens, highlights that moment. But at the same time, 
It also puts a spotlight on every other moment that would have happened on the show. The pipe bomb promo, again, taking that as a for instance. When CM Punk cuts that promo, it is, in that moment, incredible. It is a historic moment. But everything else that happened on that show, I believe, is lessened because of it. That everything else, once you do a worked shoot, everything around it is now highlighted as a pure work. What you've done with a worked shoot is you've disrupted the suspension of disbelief. So the expectation for entertainment comes, or the expectation for the suspension of disbelief is lessened because it doesn't take much to suspend disbelief when it's a worked shoot because it seems like real life. And then you want me to go back into this world where it doesn't seem like real life. Well, I can no longer suspend my disbelief because my tolerance for it has lessened because of that worked shoot. Does that make sense? The other reason that uh, I don't like it is because if it's done specifically ineffectively, like that's if it's done effectively. If a work shoot is done effectively, it will still, people's interest in it will still wane over time and it will still highlight all the other storylines happening on the show as being not nearly as interesting as this one. If it's done improperly, it actually creates a disconnect between you and the audience. And the most important thing you can have in professional wrestling is a connection with the audience. And that connection needs to be built through, as I said, compelling storylines and compelling characters. So when you do a work shoot and you do it improperly and you actually make people believe that it is a shoot, this is something that, for instance, like Vince Russo would do in WCW from time to time, a work shoot when you know, whether it's Bash at the Beach with uh, Jeff Jarrett laying down for Hulk Hogan or or a few other instances where that happened. A lot of it happened after Montreal. See, Montreal with Bret Hart, that's a shoot, shoot. That's what makes that so very interesting. Didn't do anything for Bret Hart, obviously, but Bret Hart was leaving the company anyway. The reason that that story has been told over and over and over again is because a shoot in the moment is as interesting as anything can be. It's the truth. It's the one moment where suspension of disbelief is not even, It's there's no effort to it. You have no choice but to suspend disbelief because this is what's happening. A work shoot tries to capture that. However, if you do it wrong and people realize like, oh, I thought that was real, but it's not real you lose trust with the audience. The audience no longer wants to suspend their disbelief for you because they were misled when they did that before. You've lost your connection with the audience because they figured out that you're lying to them. And 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 a thing happened when somebody lies to you and you realize that they intentionally lied to you and the reason that they lied to you is because they thought you would believe it. You have no choice but to feel that that person thinks that you're an idiot, that the reason that person lied to you is because they think that you are too stupid to figure out the truth, that you are gullible. And if you feel like a storyteller is doing things in a direction that they can get away with because they think that you're stupid, that's called insulting your intelligence. And 
when a wrestling company or a scriptwriter or anybody is insulting your intelligence, you lose credibility with them or they lose credibility with you, depending on your perspective. But the connection's broken and it becomes very, very difficult to fix. So if kayfabe is gone and you can't do a work shoot, how do you maintain these compelling storylines? Because even if Vince McMahon had not gone through that sports entertainment era, even if Vince McMahon had not made that transition, kayfabe would still be dead and buried. And kayfabe is even less existent now. See, there was a time, even when it was shown that the results were predetermined, even when it was announced that this is sports entertainment, this is not a legitimate sports contest, there was still a lack of awareness of what was happening. And it, it made it very, very easy for people to suspend their disbelief. There were many years when the majority of fans could easily cheer for the good guys and boo the bad guys because all they were doing was following the story that was shown for them on TV or at live events. The internet changed everything. There were always newsletters, dirt sheets, quote unquote, but newsletters that would pull that metaphorical curtain back on wrestling and tell the world what was really going on, or at least in their mind, right? Give a, give a glimpse of what was going on behind the curtain, uh, who was getting along with who, what kind of person the, the performers actually were. Uh, 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 who was uh, under negotiations for new contracts, why certain choices were being made, who was being looked at as a favorite not to win a match, who was being looked at as a favorite to be decided to win a match, what wrestlers were coming into a company. All of this stuff was in those newsletters, but only a small portion of the audience found them. They were in print. You had to mail away for them. And it was almost a secret society. You had to know somebody that knew somebody. So the hardcores were the hardcores, but you, you know, you had to work to be a hardcore. As the internet came about in the mid and late 90s, those newsletters grew 10, 20, 30, 100 fold. Because those, the information in those newsletters started popping up in email newsletters that people could easily now find, on message boards that people could find even easier, and of course, websites. All these uh, wrestling newsletters started websites, and that spawned new wrestling quote-unquote news websites. So the behind-the-scenes stuff just started going everywhere, 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 to the point that we can go back to that shoot, quote-unquote, with Bret the Hitman Hart in Montreal in 1997, more people knew that he was leaving WWE than ever had before because the internet had found out a couple of days before that he would indeed be leaving WWE. That's why there were signs in the crowd that acknowledged it. Flash forward 20 years, 25 years, 2022, there's, there is no internet wrestling fan base. It's just the wrestling fan base. For the most part, all full-time wrestling fans are on the internet. Even part-time wrestling fans, many of them are scouring Reddit and on wrestling Twitter and listening to podcasts and hearing about the behind the scenes all the time to the point 
where many people are far more interested on what's going on behind the scenes than they are with what's going on on screen. That it, it created a, a, a kind of a, a a crazy environment coming into like the 2010s and beyond, where for the first time, fans in large scale regularly were not just cheering and booing characters anymore. They were cheering and booing writing decisions. They were cheering and booing the creative of the show. They were cheering and booing the backstage part of wrestling. John Cena and Roman Reigns, when they were brought out and built up as the top guy, they were, it was done in a fairly traditional way, the way that it was done for Hulk Hogan, the way it was done for Diesel, the way it was done for Shawn Michaels. You know, Stone Cold and The Rock were a little bit different because the Attitude Era was different for a lot of reasons. But fans knew the playbook by then. And they had read all about who was making what decisions and why. And once they became aware of that, it wasn't just about the story that was being told on television. It was about why that story was being told and the story that was being told off screen. I mean, you can go to WrestleMania 30 and realize that the reason that Daniel Bryan was cheered as much as he was was not just because he wasn't in the main event, but it was because the powers that be in WWE had not put him in the main event. That is a very important distinction. That it's one thing to say, to cheer for somebody to get to the main event. It's another thing to cheer for somebody to be put in place in the main event. Because that's where suspension of disbelief gets messed with. And that's where the shoot, quote unquote, part of this, the totally non-kayfabe part of this, becomes part of the story. Because there are so many interviews and so many uh, newsletters and so many articles coming out that fans are as if not more invested in the behind the scenes of these superstars as they are in the stories that are, they're telling on TV. Look at Big E right now. A whole wave is starting to build for people who are not happy with the treatment of the Big E character. They're not sitting there going, reacting to the championship reign of this character. They are reacting to the opportunity that this performer got to portray this character in a championship reign. When they cheer or boo, it's because of the opportunities that Big E was given, not because of what the Big E character did. So when we get to that place, how do we continue to suspend disbelief? And how do we tell these stories? Well, I think there are some that try to do a full separation, that try to really lean in and embrace the fact that WWE, AEW, whatever it is, is a television show. And that the, the, the performers are portraying characters and that, you know, this professional wrestling character exists on Monday nights from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m., but they are a different human being outside of that and, and they're public about that. You see people changing their names on their Twitter accounts. You see, you know, so that their Twitter account reflects their real name. 
But realistically, as much as fans care about the behind the scenes, they don't want that. I mean, you see this. The vast majority of wrestling fans that are on Twitter are not interacting with performers on Twitter as performers. They're reacting to the characters on Twitter. People want to suspend disbelief, but they have to be able to suspend disbelief all the time. So how do they do that? For me, that's where new kayfabe comes in. New kayfabe is this awareness and acceptance that everybody's reading everything. That even when you are quote unquote out of character doing an interview, you're not actually out of character. It is the ability to manipulate the scenario that you're in to continue to tell the story that you're going to tell on television and thus get people invested. I was, I mean, it came to mind again because I was reading an interview uh, that Eddie Kingston did. And Eddie Kingston, in a very realistic way, said that he straight up does not like Chris Jericho, that that uh, that he, he thinks that Chris Jericho is out for himself only, that he doesn't like the guy, and that Chris Jericho has been holding back Santana and Ortiz. And Chris Jericho responded to that by saying that uh, Eddie Kingston is a nobody, in the, I'm paraphrasing, but Eddie Kingston is a nobody in the wrestling business, and the only reason that's true is because Eddie can, has himself to blame for it. And I'm reading this, and I'm going, this is a storyline. And we see it played out on AEW TV on Dynamite. Like, this is this is a storyline. This whole idea of Chris Jericho being out for himself, it sounds real life. It sounds like, uh-oh, Eddie Kingston is going off the reservation. But he's simply doing a character that can exist outside of, of the wrestling show and and telling the story and leading us to a place where we will cheer and boo for what we're seeing in the ring, you know? I mean, I think uh, uh, a lot of, and, and, and I think New Kayfabe is about bringing reporters and interviewers and everybody along with you. It's about, you know, going into a mainstream interview and look, not sitting there and saying, well, you know, I was a tag team with this guy and he betrayed me and now I really don't like him. That's that's standard kayfabe. But Matt Cardona, he goes on Busted Open. And a lot of it has to do with tone, right? He talks about the NWA in a, in a way that's disrespectful. And he goes, <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up watching WWE when I was a kid. I thought the NWA was boring. <laughs> and I still think it's boring. I'm just trying to save the company and blah, blah, blah. And like, he didn't sound like he was cutting a wrestling promo. And it made people go like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, uh, I mean, I hope he's working, but it doesn't sound like he's working and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it, it, he's 100% working. He's telling the same story that he's telling on TV. He's portraying himself as the savior of the NWA, but he's doing it in a way that a normal person would do it in conversation. 
it's it's an acknowledgement that fans are aware of everything. It's an acknowledgement of this behind the scenes stuff. It's it's when when Nia Jax is being portrayed all over the place as somebody who's unsafe and uh, and somebody who's injuring people and somebody who people don't want to work with. Well, then it's time for Nia Jax, as she did, to go on TV and start coming across as far more brutal and be a big-time heel that people don't like. Is that because the reports are true? Or is that because we're leaning into the reports so that they're feeding this character building that is going on on screen? It's not the same as a worked shoot because a worked shoot stops everything and says, no, 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 no. Everything else on this show is fake. This is real. That's not what this is doing. This is taking the storyline and bringing it with us. This is taking the storyline that we're seeing on TV and bring injecting it into the real world so that it fits. I mean, it's similar to what reality TV does. You look at the way reality TV is sometimes covered in the media. And it's like there's no acknowledgement that this is a television show. The media will cover reality TV as if it's really true. And nobody will will wink. Nobody will bat an eye and say, I mean, this. I know it's called reality TV, but this is a scripted show. There's assisted reality going. Nobody does that. That's new kayfabe. And so this is bringing it into the real world. You know, this is this is the Miz going off on Daniel Bryan on Talking Smack on stuff that we know to be true. And Daniel Bryan responding in a way that feels real, but that all building towards an eventual match. You can take that with you when you do media appearances. Well, I don't think The Miz is a real wrestler. I think he's a coward. I think he's way out of line for bringing up my retirement as if it was cowardly when it was done because of an injury. And it's like, you're listening to that going like, this is real, but it's also the story. So is it real? And at that point you're like, I, because you're sitting there seeing it covered the same way. That's new kayfabe. You know, it's, it's, it's Charlotte being portrayed all over the place as, as Becky Lynch, Becky Lynch, in every interview that she does now, people go, what do you think of Charlotte? And Becky goes, she doesn't cut a wrestling promo. She goes, oh, you know, the two of us just really don't get along. And it's all coming off of that, uh, you know, exchange of the titles where that weirdness happened on TV. And was that real or was that scripted? I don't know. But the idea that Becky Lynch goes out there and is never nice about Charlotte. It makes us believe as adults where we suspend any disbelief. We believe that Charlotte and Becky Lynch have a real problem with each other. And is it true or is it not true or does it not matter? To me, that's what new kayfabe is all about. Is it true? Is it not true? Or does it not matter? That third part is what new kayfabe is all about. It doesn't 
matter if it's true or not. It's the story and you believe in it. Eventually, we're going to get to another Becky Lynch Charlotte match. And all of this work, all of all of this, all of this stuff that they've put in for months and months and months and months is all going to come to a fruition. It's all going to build to this climax. And if you tell the story the right way, you're going to be able to do something very compelling. I think that, you know, they should read the tea leaves a little bit and see that the audience is picking up on the fact that Big E is is not was not given a fair shake and is nowhere near that main event scene. I saw on I think on uh, the Mass Man podcast, Kaz said that he thinks it should be Big E versus Goldberg at WrestleMania. I think that the story should be that right now Big E as isn't anywhere near facing Goldberg at WrestleMania. That Big E lost his title in a five way got pinned by Brock Lesnar, and now it's as if he was never champion. It's as if it was erased. He's back on SmackDown inexplicably. He's in a tag team with Kofi, and they won't even call it the New Day. I mean, I think Big E should should be doing interviews right now. Right now. He should be doing interviews outside of wrestling, because that's where new kayfabe is built outside the TV show. If you do it on the show, you start to drift into work shoot territory. But if Big E is out there right now, this is what I would do if I'm if I'm running the company. I go, we need to get Big E back to a place where people believe that he can headline and win a title in a main event of a pay-per-view WrestleMania or otherwise. They go, well, how does he get there? I go, well, Let's get him out there doing media again. He's great at media. And you don't do it in a way that makes it seem like you're going to get fired. You don't do it in a way that's over the top. But you wait. Somebody is bound to ask, why don't they call you and Kofi the New Day? Hey, Big E, why do they say Big E and Kofi Kingston? Why don't they say the New Day? Hey, why are you in a tag team? Hey, where is Xavier? Hey, why are you back on SmackDown? Hey, why haven't you got another shot at the title? And Big E just needs to say something like, I don't know, I, I think that, and kind of laugh it off. I think that maybe they think that if they say, if they don't call us the New Day, that people will forget that my spot in the main event scene has just been erased. I think, I don't know, maybe they think that that if they just say, Big E and Kofi Kingston and not the New Day, that people for some reason will forget that I lost a random fatal five-way against a guy who wasn't even supposed to be in the match. And ever since then, they've acted like I never won the title. You see, like, you see how that's layered in a way where you haven't actually gone so far as to shoot from the hip, right? You haven't actually broken the fourth wall. You haven't actually said writers. You haven't actually said anything, but you also haven't acted as if it's real, real. You haven't sat there and said, just because a man pinned me and I was beaten and blah, blah, blah. You've kind of looped around without saying I was scripted to lose, but also without saying I was beaten by a better man. 
you've acknowledged what we're all acknowledging. Ultimately, that's one of the main ways you suspend disbelief in wrestling is that the storylines reflect how we all feel as, as viewers. Stone Cold Steve Austin became a star because we all felt it. Same thing with The Rock. Same thing with Mankind, quite frankly. Shawn Michaels became a heel because we all felt it. You know, and it becomes this thing that if you're already feeling it about this character as you're watching it, and the character goes in that direction, it becomes very, very easy to suspend disbelief, which is all you need. So for me, getting people out on the media and on Twitter, on social media, you know, having people get close to that fourth wall, having people do things like Eddie Kingston did. I mean, I, I, I think that, that Ali, while he was still around, was, was a master at it, you know? I think that, that a lot of what could have been an amazing rivalry between a villainous Ali and a good guy, Kofi Kingston, could have been done through new kayfabe because the kernel of it was true. Kofi Mania was built on the back of Ali being injured and losing his opportunity. And when he got back from his injury, not only was that never mentioned, but he was never afforded the opportunity that Kofi was. He never was afforded an opportunity to get back to the spot that he was in before he was injured. And that's going to make a guy bitter. And that bitterness should seep through the television show. You know, that bitterness should rear its ugly head in real life. That, to me, is where new kayfabe comes in. I think that that you can't do it for every single story. And not every single story needs it, you know? I think, like, uh, like the stuff that Sami Zayn has been doing with Johnny Knoxville and stuff, like, that doesn't need new kayfabe elements. That's just a fun story that you can get into. I think a lot of the stuff that Kevin Owens does could be injected with some new kayfabe. And I think people would would buy it. Kevin Owens is as believable a performer as you're going to get. Roman Reigns is new kayfabe. Roman Reigns is 100% new kayfabe. Any interview that Roman does, he's not sitting there cutting a wrestling promo. Roman doesn't sit there and go, hey, I'm glad I'm on Not Sam Wrestling. Now will you acknowledge me and do catchphrases and stuff like that. But I've heard him do the egos. He will say, look, I'm better than anybody on the roster right now. Like, seriously. Like, he'll say, like, I, the reason that I say I'm in God mode on SmackDown is because I've never been better and there's nobody on the roster that can touch me. The reason I've been winning these matches, and again, you can't, if you, if you just go around saying, well, I've beaten the best and that makes me the best, that's traditional kayfabe. But if you go and you acknowledge these victories in a way where you're not like trying to take credit for the athletic achievement of it, but you are taking credit for the fact that you achieved the victories, which says something. What you're saying without saying is that everybody knows I'm the man and that's why they're having me beat everybody. You wouldn't say that literally, but the implication of your statement would be that. Because if you say that literally, it doesn't translate. That's not new kayfabe. Again, that's like work shoot weirdness. 
It doesn't translate to the TV product if you if you just pull the curtain back and say, I was scripted to win all the matches. Because then it's like, well, I'm, all right, cool. So am I going to cheer for you because you were scripted to win this? Like, I, uh, that's not going to work. But if you say, the reason I've won all these matches is because there's nobody on the roster that can touch me. Because WWE would would be in a lot of trouble if I wasn't there. And then he said, and it, look at you want look at the look at tickets, look at television ratings. Why do you think I'm on SmackDown? Because Fox wants me there, and they don't want to upset Fox. Stuff like that. That's new kayfabe because that is the Roman Reigns character, but it's putting the Roman Reigns character into the reality that we live in. And I think the more of that, the better. Becky Lynch is a pro at New Kayfabe. Not only with Charlotte, but even with Ric Flair. You know, I think a lot of the back and forth with Ric Flair is Becky Lynch realizing, you know, obviously there's not going to be a Becky Lynch-Ric Flair match, but Becky Lynch realizing that she can capitalize on the fact that she's gotten under Ric Flair's skin. I don't know that Ric Flair is involved in the New Kayfabe of it, you know, I. but again, that's the point, right? The fact that I don't know if Ric Flair is truly involved in the new kayfabe of it or if he really is bothered by it, that's new kayfabe. That's the whole point of it. You know, I think uh, uh, a lot of the a lot of the Becky and Ronda stuff, Ronda was all new kayfabe. When Ronda Rousey turned heel and started uh, 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 talking about the fans and everything at the end of her first run, that was completely new kayfabe. People thought she was just shooting all over the place. People b- truly believed in the Ronda Rousey character after she turned heel because Ronda Rousey believed in the Ronda Rousey character because, again, it was a total new kayfabe character. It was Ronda taking the motivations that her character has and bringing them to her vlog and her website and the interviews that she was doing and talking about the fact that she was better than everybody else. I think I think the person who probably understands new kayfabe more than anyone would be Paul Heyman. And it's interesting, I just read a quote from Paul Heyman recently that was talking about the audience and saying that if you don't utilize your audience as one of your main characters, then you're missing one of the primary elements of the show. And it's really interesting that Paul Heyman said that. Because I was just reading an interview that he did or or something that he did when he was running ECW or maybe he was talking about when he was running ECW. I don't remember where it was. But he was basically saying that ECW's number one character was the audience. Paul Heyman believes in the audience, but it means taking the audience on that ride. If you want the audience to become your character, if you want the audience to act in the way that you want. You have to manipulate the audience. Not in a bad way. It's not always a negative way, but you have to be able to manipulate your audience because you want the right sounds to come from the audience when your characters come out. And in order to manipulate your audience in 2022, you need to utilize new kayfabe. You need to not tell a different story on television than what's going on on the internet and everywhere else. There can't be two stories. New Kayfabe is about combining all of the stories into one. New Kayfabe takes what people, what fans are talking about when they're not watching the show and puts it on the show. 
in a way that is organized and in a way that is telling a proper story. Not in a reactionary way, not in a way that is like, oh, I don't think that was supposed to happen, but just in a way that they go, okay, Rhonda on TV said that she thinks she's better than everybody else. On the internet, she said, here's why I think I'm better than everybody else. There's no difference. On the internet, Charlotte and Becky aren't getting along. On television, Charlotte and Becky aren't getting along. On the internet, Paul Heyman is the biggest Brock Lesnar advocate. On television, Paul Heyman is the biggest Brock Lesnar advocate. There is no difference. And that, my friends, is new kayfabe. I love it so much. If, 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 if you've got any questions about it, or if you've got opinions about it, if I'm right or wrong, hit me up. My email is notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Don't forget to hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. If you're a Not Sam Shill in the Hall of Fame or Superstar level, we will, of course, be doing uh, uh, a Zoom meeting. We might do it after Elimination Chamber pay-per-view since it's at like noon. Uh, on that day. I don't know if everybody wants to wake up early, but we'll definitely be doing that. And we'll be back uh, next week uh, with some feedback on that, uh, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been... Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.